You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 13, and if I may, I just kind of talk to maybe our online audience and possibly people here that this is just new. New to studying God's Word, opening God's Word. What is the Book of Acts about? Um, and and it's, it's, it's really exciting because we're at that point in the Book of Acts, which is really following the Gospels. The Gospels give us um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just what Jesus did for those 33 and a half years while he lived here on earth from his birth to his, his death and his resurrection. And then... After that, the book of Acts starts um, with the 40 days that he lived on this earth following his resurrection. So he showed himself as Luke, who would be used to write by God, inspiring Luke to write the book of Acts, just like he did his gospel. He would pin down these words, and he would just start off by talking about this is what he continued to do once he was raised from the dead. And all of that was happening in Jerusalem. He was pretty much lived a lot of that last week in Jerusalem. Um, He was put on a cross in Jerusalem. He was buried in Jerusalem. He rose from the grave in Jerusalem. And then the the Gospels give us a couple accounts of what Jesus would do going up to the Sea of Galilee and, and of course, meeting the disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, but then up to the Sea of Galilee. And then Luke just is like, for 40 days, he was on the earth showing himself to us, talking a whole lot about the kingdom of God and how he as the king was telling everybody, get ready for this spiritual kingdom, be part of the spiritual kingdom. And of course, that would come through spiritual birth. It would come by putting faith in him. And so here he is at the center of Judaism. They've just put him on a cross. He's now walking around, raised from the dead. And his followers would probably be about as committed as a follower could ever be once they saw him return from the dead. Would you agree with that? And so the book of Acts is like, well, what did he say and, and what did he do? And, and so for those 40 days, he talked about the kingdom and he, he talked about how they needed to hang out in Jerusalem because there's this promise of the Father that is going to come and it was really talking about the Spirit coming upon them and, and this ecclesia, this church being birthed. Jesus had said up north before he came back to Jerusalem for that final time to die on a cross. He was up north at the city of Caesarea Philippi. And he had said to the disciples, well, specifically Peter and him were kind of having a a dialogue. But he just said that he would build his church. Well, there, there needs to come a time for there to be a church. Church would need to be birthed if it was to be built. Well, in Acts chapter 2... We see that happen. There's a group of 120 people together. The Spirit comes upon them. The church is birthed. And from that point on, we have this amazing movement of believers. They're converted. 3,000 people were saved. If, If our city heard that this morning at somewhere around... You know, where are we? Imperial Highway and Euclid. i got to get my bearing right here. Like thousands of people got saved. Let me tell you what. There would be a buzz in town about what God is doing. Amen. So the church was birthed. 
And what the book of Acts gives us is basically what the Holy Spirit began to do, birthing the church and now building the church. Jesus said he would do it. He's doing it. It's a work of the Spirit, Spirit of God. We're like following the account of that. And so from Jerusalem, as Jesus said, before he ascended into heaven, in that first chapter of the book of Acts, he goes, look, you guys are going to be my witnesses. I'm going to use you. You're going to be my, my martus, my martyrs. I'm going to use you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my martyrs, my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, that happened. Then Judea, which is kind of like go south. Then Samaria, go north. He's like, just it's going to start somewhere, but then it's going to grow. And it's going to continue on to the end of the earth at the end of the age. And so if this morning somebody decides to give their life to Jesus Christ, and I would highly recommend that, would you recommend that to a non-believer here? Yeah. About half of us agree that would be a good idea. But if you did, the church would grow. It would expand one more day, one more person. We are the church. The building is not the church. You and I, redeemed people, are the church. So the hub, the center for the church was Jerusalem, chapters 1 through about halfway through 12. And then the focal point and the hub is going to change, and it's going to become this city, church, a church in the city by the name of Antioch. And Antioch, if you were looking at, at Israel, shaped much like California, Jerusalem would be about in the middle somewhere. But if you headed north, you would have Lebanon and then Beyond that would be a, a part of Syria that would wrap around and hit the Mediterranean. In the capital of Syria at that particular time, about 300 plus miles away, was this town called Antioch. And we heard about the church in chapter 8 beginning to be persecuted in Jerusalem. And Christians, just like you and I, were like, this is a bit intense, and they began to flee. And as they fled, many of them were sharing the gospel along the way. As some of them got up north... In Antioch, there were these Greek-speaking Jews. They shared Jesus with them. They believed, and they were saved. We met the congregation in chapter 11. We come back to chapter 13. What had happened? A great work began to grow in Antioch. Jerusalem heard about it. They sent one of their leaders, Barnabas, to go check out the work. He goes there, gets all excited about it, finds Saul, who we are going to see his name change to Paul in this chapter. They spend a whole year there teaching large groups of people. They, they oversee an amazing disaster relief program because back by the mother church in Jerusalem to the south, there was a great famine. All of us, if we are the church in Antioch, are like, let's get behind the bros in Jerusalem, man. And so we all kind of gather resources and stuff, and we send it with Saul and Barnabas. They go back and, and like, bless the people in Jerusalem. They swing back around, and now they're back in La Habra. And, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're walking. They're, let's just say they're, they're, they're on the border of La Mirada getting ready to get close to La Habra. We're happening. We're growing. Something unique is beginning to happen with this church. This Antioch, La Habra, is going to be the church, the model church in the book of Acts. As they're walking, as I said last week, towards La Habra, Barnabas, Saul, who used to be a persecutor of the church, 
who's now been saved for about three and a half years. And John Mark, who is the nephew of Barnabas, they're getting close to La Habra, Antioch. They have no idea, hear this, don't miss this, that they are about to step into the most exciting chapters ever recorded in church history. More is going to happen through these guys than with any other human being ever on the planet as far as advancing the gospel. This is what's crazy. They didn't know that. They had no idea what was about to happen. And so in chapter 13, we, we get an idea about what was happening as far as God happening in Antioch. So the lens, it's focused back on the church in Antioch, and we meet five of their leaders, Barnabas, Saul. If you look at chapter 13, verse 1, we got through one verse last week, by the way. You guys have got to pick it up. But there was, there was a guy by the name of Simeon who was called Niger, who was from Nigeria, Lucius, and um, Manian, who was just raised in Herod's house. But then it, it says, but there were these gifted people there as well. Some of them were prophets, some of them there were teachers. So we're like, okay, let's look at some of those giftings. Let's understand the dynamics of when people are saved and God pulls them together as the church. He gives gifts to the church. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, the classic passages to understand the spiritual gifts that God gives to the church and kind of 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how it all works, the measure of God's grace. Every one of us if you're saved here this morning, if you're a Christian here this morning, raise your hand. All right. That means that you who have raised your hand, you have at least one or more spiritual gifts. That's what the Bible says. No one is left out. Now, the question is, do you know what those gifts are, and are you using those gifts? In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, he says, God has placed each gifted person in the church as he so, he so chose. So he's got a plan for you. He saved you with that in mind. But the church in Antioch had that going on. We talked about that last week. Now, the spotlight is placed a little bit more on the congregation. And this is important. What was so unique about this church in Antioch? What was so unique about Calvary La Habra that God would decide to take the gospel message that he invested in them? A message that they heard about Jesus. They were, they were saved now and converted. Their lives were transformed because they put their faith in him. What was it so, un so special about this group of people that, like the known world, would be impacted by the gospel through that church? If you were to take Paul the Apostle's sandals and you were to somehow be able to understand how far he traveled in those sandals, beginning... In Jerusalem, you go, wow, look at the tread. He went through 1,400 miles. He walked 1,400 miles from Jerusalem all the way up to what we would see as modern-day Yugoslavia sharing the gospel. And from all of those places, just hear me, God has been faithful to work through someone, through one of those places, down through generation after generation, to transform the person's heart and life that shared the gospel with you. It's a work of the Spirit. This is the model church. So let's just look at a couple of things here that stand out about them 
And, and then we'll see how God begins to use them. Number Next, verse 2. It says, As they, they, they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, at this particular time, there is no way that this church knew what, what was about to happen through their church. They, they, they had grown undoubtedly to love Saul and Barnabas. They were teachers, they gifted men. But they had no idea that this, their, their congregation, they had no idea that God would use them to the degree that he was about to use that church. The first thing that we see here is their focus. It says here that they, that they minister to the Lord. Oftentimes people will ask me about our ministry and I'll talk about the, the focal point of our ministry. Yeah, we're ministering to these kind of people. We're ministering to this nation. We're ministering to those kind of people. These are the kind of people that God has brought into our life. It's just the, 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 the chronology of our church. We're ministering to older people now. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about ministry that way. But rarely do I use this phrase when people ask me about ministry, that our church is a church that just, well, we just minister to the Lord. Now, we do, but we don't see it in this context enough. The word ministry here is a word that basically describes a priestly service. This is not just a description about Saul and Barnabas. It's a description about they, the church. It is a word that, that was used to describe a priest that either served in the, the tabernacle, which was the tent before the temple, or in the temple itself. And if you looked at, from a, a, a Jewish perspective, the role of a priest, if you looked at that, Everything he did was an act of worship. That's how they saw it. God was their audience. The, the, the Lord was the object of, of their worship. Worship was the priority. Their primary focus was not the position that they had, although they held a position. The primary focus was not the program that they fulfilled, although there was a program. The primary focus was not on themselves, although they were really there, serving the Lord. The primary focus wasn't even on others, although it was very important. Ministry regarding others was very important. Their primary focus was on the Lord. They, they ministered to the Lord. We were singing a song this morning, and I, I write certain things in, my, in the Bible when it's it's mine. It's just a worship song. And it, it, it just says, Lance, this is between you and the Lord, I will make room for you. I don't know if you sang that with, like, understanding what you're saying. Sometimes we sing some songs, we don't think about what we're saying to the Lord. But to the Lord, we worshiped him this morning. We said, I will make room for you to do whatever you want me to do. Paul would tell young Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verse 15, that we are to present ourselves approved unto God. He's the focus point. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, 
Paul telling the church there, whatever you do, do it heartily, like with your whole heart, as to the Lord and not men. Knowing that it's from the Lord that you're going to receive the reward of inheritance. For you serve the Lord. Now again, as I, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. The last two years, by the way, very unique. Two years ago, I felt the Lord say, Lance, lead through a pandemic. Where we're at now, I feel the Lord saying, Lance, lead out of a pandemic. New people, new names, new faces, new leaders, new attendees, new children, hundreds of kids coming before COVID. March 15, 2020, nine. Now, new families, new marriages, new challenges, a very different world. Let's, let's lead. You know what I do when the Lord puts that on my heart? I go to his word and I say, Lord, help us to line up with you. Lord, help us to line up with your word. What's been your focal point? I don't know. But if we are going to be used, if we're going to become like the model church in Antioch, we've got to get our focus right. Don't just sing the words. I will make room for you. Like, make room for him. Why? To do whatever he wants to do with you. But you've got to really make him the focus. Another way of of doing that, another way of ministering to the Lord is this whole thing of fasting. Some of you are like, what is fasting? Well, fasting for you note-takers is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. It's setting aside a normal physical demand in order to grow aspects of the spiritual life. It's like, okay, Lord, you know, for some people it might be food. Food really means a lot to me. Do you have any food people? Any foodies here along with me? I love your honesty. Let's go out to eat right after the service. I love food. I just do. I can't help it. It's an interesting thing. Sometimes I'll be eating and Lori's like, you know, you're a trip because we're, 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 we're having a nice meal and you're talking about the next meal already. Anybody go there? Like one meal's getting you thinking about the next meal? Yeah. So if, if I'm sitting down with you, and I've made a meal, and I'm, 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 it's like something I really like, let's just cut this. If we go to In-N-Out Burger, I'm really thinking about what I'm going to order. I even have a little special thing. Lori knows my special order. When it comes, I'm in the zone. I'm just in the zone. Now, I pray before it. I ask the Lord, thank him for, I do, I do. I think about the Lord. But when I'm eating, I want you to think, I am not thinking about you. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not thinking about the Lord. I can't remember eating a double-double that's got me like all like focused on the Lord. So for me, if I, if I want to say, Lord, I want to get just more spiritual. I, want, I, I, I need my life to be more focused on you. There is nothing wrong with me saying, you know, today I'm, I'm just not going to eat. 
But when I don't eat, I'm, I'm going to use that time and I'm going to pick up the spiritual food. I'm going I'm to give you that hour in the word. I, 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 I call meat every now and then. I've done it recently. And I'm like, send me a new worship genre. Just send it to me. Something fresh. Because I want to dine with the Lord. I want to spend time with him. And it might be, I don't know, maybe you have your, your routine and you're like really a routine person. And it might be in the morning, you take one of those hours before work or whatever, and you're like, I'm going to just sacrifice that to show the Lord I'm really serious about him and give him more of my heart, some more devotion, some more time. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe, and I'm going to touch something that might upset a few people here. Maybe you'll say, well, listen, each day I give this many hours to social media, I'm going to back down on that. Young adults from high school to 22 average seven hours a day right now on social media, nationally. When we go on our honeymoons, I love watching these Young people get married, they get all excited, and they go on a honeymoon. They'll, oftentimes I'll ask them, where are you going? And they'll say, oh, we're going here, and they're all excited about the honeymoon. But, but if you've got your focus right, it's not, when it comes to the wedding, I always tell them, it's not about the plans coming together, it's the lives coming together. Anybody married over 20 years want to agree with me? Yes. Honeymoons are the same way. It's not that the plans come together. We made it to, you know, wherever, Hawaii or whatever. It's, it's your lives coming together. If you don't believe me, go on a honeymoon and have one of the spouses stay behind. <laughs> There's no honey in that moon. <laughs> so if we're going to, like, do that with a spouse to further unite ourselves and better the relationship between us and our spouse. The same is true with the Lord. And that's part of what this whole fasting thing is. So, so when, when we fast, a few things can happen, okay? I've got some cool notes for you guys that are into this, studying fasting. And fasting can strengthen prayer. Let me explain in Ezra, chapter 8, verse 23, it says, So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he, he answered our prayer. Now understand that fasting does not change whether God hears our prayers, but it can change our praying. It can really bring a fervency to it. Now, I've cut out like some time here and, and these things, these other freedoms and maybe entertainment or even food or whatever it is. And this is between me and you, Lord. That is really going to change your heart. It's going to give you a more fervent heart for the Lord, a more passionate heart for the Lord. Don't be surprised if, if hope grows and confidence in the Lord grows. We can also fast to understand God's guidance. In Judges 20, verse 26, it says, Then all of the Israelites, the whole army, they went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord, and they fasted that whole day until evening, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Now, now as with, with prayer, fasting to seek God's guidance isn't done to change God, but to change us, to open up our heart more to his guidance. 
to, 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 to open up our receptivity. Imagine what it would be like if you were like seeking God's will and you just were like, I'm just not sure what to do on this big decision, but you, you just took a whole day off, whole day, um, tomorrow. And you're like, I'm not going into work, whatever it is, and, and, and all day long, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call me and get that new worship genre. I'm going to go through one of the Gospels and just get me focused on the Lord. And, and all day you sought the Lord. No food, no, no distraction. You just sought the Lord over a big decision. You think you would feel different about that decision at the end of the day than when you started your day as it related to that decision? Absolutely. In 2 Chronicles, we see fasting connected to seeking God for deliverance and protection, chapter 20. In 1 Samuel 7, we see fasting exercised in a time of repentance and returning to God. The nation of Israel had been completely turned their back on God. They had become immoral. They got caught up in, in idolatry. And so Samuel, the prophet, in, in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, verses 5 and 6, he says, gather all of the people together. They bring them all together. They drew water. They poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day. And they said right there, we have sinned against the Lord. Imagine what that would be like for any of you that are struggling with, with sin right now. You, 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 I'm just honestly, before the Lord right now, there's just something that you know it's like, that's sin. You repent, you go back to it. You repent, you go back to it. I would question your repentance if you're going back and forth like that. But imagine what could happen to that person that's struggling with pornography, that person that's struggling with alcohol or the vices, and all that kind of stuff. If they just, as a Christian, they just took a, a day and they're like, you know what? I'm serious, man. I'm not, no distractions today. Me and you, Jesus, I am going to like start my day. I'm going to journal with you today. I'm going to sing to you today. I'm only going to have worship music on. I'm going to go through Psalm 51, 51 times today. Read it once. It'll drag you through it another 50 times, guaranteed. If you've got to repent, it is absolutely the road map to getting it right with Jesus if you've got to repent. What would that be like? If you took a whole day and gave it to the Lord over just something that's got you shackled, a vice, don't be surprised that somewhere along that day you actually find victory in Jesus. We can fast to overcome temptation and, and further dedicate ourselves to God's calling in our life. You know, Jesus in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, it says that he was led away into the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. You know, for 40 days he fasted. 40 days. You talk about some serious dedication. Like, I'm serious about fulfilling the plan of God, my Father, and I'm not going to cave into to temptation. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. That's what the Bible says. How did, he, how did he do that? Well, there are these spiritual tools, these things that we can do to strengthen ourselves spiritually to where we have victory even over temptation. And fasting can be used to express our love and our worship to God as well. In Luke's gospel, chapter 2, there was a 
seasoned saint by the name of Anna who just, she just committed her life to serving in the church. And it just says that, that she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer of a pagan king. He heard the plight, the, the issues, the problems, the drama, the hardships of the people that had returned to Jerusalem and they were vulnerable to the enemy because the walls were still down, the gates weren't hung back up. And it says that when he heard that, he wept. I don't know when the last time you've really wept over the plight of someone else. I don't know. Like, you're like, wept. You're so moved. Man, I can't believe what those Christians are going through. But he did more than that. He began to fast and pray. And God began to stir his heart to where he went to his boss, King Artaxerxes, and he's like, hey, and he just just poured out his soul. This guy, Nehemiah, who was fasting and praying. And, and, and before long, his king was moved by what he was saying and, and gave him favor, gave him papers to travel through wherever. You know, today we have all these mandates of people like, I can't travel here, I can't travel there. It was amazing what favor God gave this man who fasted and prayed, what vision God gave this man who fasted and prayed. Man, the next thing you know, that guy's in Jerusalem. He's got all the resources, and he had papers to just get resources from the king's, like, forests. And, and, and the next thing you know, all these people are coming, and he, and, and he builds the walls in such a way in this supernatural amount of time to where all the naysayers said that had to be God. Hmm. Ministering to the Lord. Fasting. Ministering to the Lord might speak of their devotion. Fasting might speak of their, their discipline. But this group really is, is just a microcosm of what the church would become in the world. This was just like the early believers, who they were, what, what, what they did. And so the, the work that was produced through the church in Antioch was not the people per se. It was their God. It was a deliberate work of God working through people who were seeking him. That's what it was. It was a deliberate work of God working through people who weren't hunkered down in fear like the early church was at times, or the disciples were at times. It's a deliberate work of God working through people who weren't too busy for God to work through their lives. So they ministered to the Lord, they fasted, and, and, and like the Holy Spirit said, spoke. <laughs> God spoke through the group, you know, separate now Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've, I've, I've called them to do. And again, this is, this is important. They're giving themselves to the Lord. We're going to see the, the fasting and praying and and, and all of a sudden, the Lord responds. He, he, they're, they're, in, they're investing their time. They're giving their hearts. 
Paul and, 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 and Barnabas have been teaching, so they've been just being fed over this last year. And all of a sudden, probably one of the prophets, because prophets uh, hear the word of God and will speak direct words of God on behalf of God to the people of God. Prophecy, the gift, is, is it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's prophets in the church. God has appointed prophets in the church. In chapter 11, prophets saved Christians who have the gift of prophecy came from Jerusalem to the church of Antioch. And so obviously God spoke through one of them. Hey, it's time. God wants Saul and Barnabas to like, to like head out. Now, again, the church, Calvary Chapel of Habra this morning had no idea what God was about to do, but he was about to reach America. Do you believe that could happen? Amen. You're like, America's been reached. Oh, it's, we're in a post-Christian era. Amen. Do you think that there's a good part of America that still needs to be reached with the gospel? Yeah. Oh. Pre-COVID, I used to have you stand every now and then to wake you up. I'm not going to do that right now. I'm just going to remind you, if you don't wake up right now, I'm going to have you stand. <laughs> be awake to this. Be alive to this. What if the Lord's like, I'm going to bring revival to America. And I'm just going to start through this church right here, these people who just had no idea that it was about to happen. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5, Paul brags at this group of believers in Macedonia. And he says, these guys were really used by God because they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to others. When you give yourself to the Lord, let me tell you what happens. He has you. <laughs> you, give, you give something to the Lord, it's his. You give your heart to the Lord right now, it's his. You give your life, your marriage, your, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, it's yours. I'm going to treat it that way. It's yours. He will treat it like it's his. That's what ministry is. This was a work of God. Pastor Chuck, who founded the Calvary Chapels, he used to say, ministry's like the measles. You give it till you get it. We'd have a different example in this day, but it, it, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that which I receive from the Lord, I deliver to you. So this was their calling. This was the church, a normal, redeemed people that feared the Lord, followed his word, and were just like seeking God. You know, the Holy Spirit leads hearts that are willing to follow. The Holy Spirit leads hearts that are willing to follow. That's true for individuals. It's true for Christian marriages and families. And it's absolutely true for the church. Being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, this church who was seeking God. Barnabas in chapter 11, it says about him that, that he was a good man, but it also says he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. We'll get to chapter 13 in like six months. And, and it'll say of Paul that he too was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we see a, a, a congregation here seeking God, being led by the Spirit of God. 
A.W. Tozer, a great writer. If you've seen anything by Tozer, write it, read it, buy it, read it. But I quote, a true leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead, but is forced into a position of leadership by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure if you, 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 you talk to, to Paul and Barnabas as they're about to leave Antioch and you said, hey, hey man, do you guys want to be like world missionaries and, and plant churches all around and be these apostles and these pastors and these evangelists and whatnot? They probably look at you and be like, what are you talking about? But they would say, you know, something's happened in my heart and I just can't explain it. I can remember coming into my mom's kitchen. I'd been, I'd been shaping boards and the whole logo had... I was in business. And I was really caught up in everyone needs to buy my stuff and wear my stuff, and, and I was all about promoting my stuff. Surf industry was fun. And I remember starting these Bible studies in the surf shop, and, and I, I just remember coming home. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents really weren't all aware of what was going on in the surf shop. But I just remember coming home and sitting in the kitchen with my mom going, I can't explain it. I think God wants to do something in my life. I just couldn't, ex- I, I just knew it. I didn't know what tomorrow would hold. I had no idea what the next day would hold. But I'm sure if you went up to, to, to Saul and Barnabas and maybe others in the church, there was a lot of that going on. Don't you just sense something going on? How many of you feel right now that we're like, we might be like right at the end of the end of the end? Any? About half of us. Some of you are like, this is my home, I'm never leaving. You will, and I'll see you in the air, and I'll go, told you so. But if you're talking to people right now, and that's not to, to differentiate like spirituality over someone else's spirituality, but if you're talking to a lot of people that are walking close to the Lord, and they're in the Word right now, they're going to tell you, it just seems like we're getting close. Like, like, there's a trumpet that's about the sound. We just feel like God's doing something in our midst, something unique. That was that church. They ministered to the Lord. They, they, they were being taught. They ministered to the Lord. They fasted. And then in verse 3, it also says that they were They were praying church. They prayed and laid hands on them before they left. When we see a church praying together, they are demonstrating their dependence on God together. They are demonstrating their need for God together. They're they're demonstrating their trust in God together. They're, They're demonstrating their desire to understand the will of God, the way of God, the timing of God, the plan of God. A praying church believes that prayer is one of the most powerful weapons, spiritual weapons that they have. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. A praying church prays, and then they see the power of prayer. And so they know there's power in prayer, so they continue to pray. When a church prays together, they're saying they believe in the power of prayer. It's like we're experiencing this. And a church that prays together, their faith grows. Hope is renewed. Prayer draws them together. Prayer holds them together. And prayer drives them 
together in a direction. Prayer brings clarity. Prayer brings purpose. A praying church becomes a formidable force that the adversary could never subdue. But when a church marginalizes prayer or gets too busy to pray or just stops praying, that church will quickly find itself out of the will of God. That church will stand powerless and be bewildered and ineffective and will be threatened by and fear the very culture that they're called to go and share Christ with. When a church stops praying, fear will grow rather than faith. Rather than the Holy Spirit directing them, fear will begin to direct them. Fear is a, a very powerful force. And they will lose vision. They will lose direction. They will lose purpose. The Holy Spirit will not guide if he is not sought. So having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they, they sent them away. God was at work here. God alone, of course, does the, the, the commissioning, but, but the church was showing they're, they're unified in this. Like we, we, we see, we're acknowledging God's direction in this, God's timing in this. What a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A beautiful picture of what God will do when a church will, will fast and minister to the Lord and, and they're taught, they're equipped, they're prayed up, and they're filled with and they're led by the Holy Spirit. When we, when we lay hands on people, we do it for a, a number of reasons. When we, we pray for people, we just, we, you, might, you might go, that's kind of, what, why are they laying hands on people? Part of that is just, there's no power, like connection thing. We're just like, hey, what you know, we're here, we love you. And, and, and just the, the, to touch the people we're praying over, to affirm them. When this kind of laying hands on someone that's about to be you know, used in a unique way. It's a way of the church affirming, we see God in this. Yeah, man, this is what we believe God is doing. And so the church was unified through ministering to the Lord and fasting and praying. They were unified. They were all like, we're all in the same lane. We're all going the same direction at the same time. One more thought here. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, notice in verse 5, they go down to Seleucia, which is a seaport in Antioch, so it's on the Mediterranean. And there they, they sail across to, to, to Cyprus, which is an island right off of the coast there uh, of, of Antioch. And it's, it's uh, we learned earlier that's where Barnabas was from. So he's going back to like his hometown but it's a very, very pagan place, okay? So it might be very exciting, but then you got to get on a boat. And you know that you're going over to that island who the, the, really the, the gods, the pagan gods of that area ruled the land. So the Venus and the, just the sensual goddesses. And it was very immoral, it was known as a very diseased place because of the immorality. That's where the Holy Spirit was sending them. And it just says, and as they arrived, they, they, they preached the word of God 
in the synagogues of the Jews. And it just says like John was there as their assistant. So they've been through this amazing season of being prepared. And then there was just a time where the Lord's like, I'm going to grab a couple of you guys and I'm going to use you. When our girls, if you don't know, we have three daughters. They're, they're older now. But when they were young, Lori and I were like avid skiers and snowboarders, and we couldn't wait to get our little ones on the hill. We taught them how to snowboard. We taught them how to ski. And I remember we first took them up. They were just little tykes. And we're in the car, and if you've done this with your kids, you know that you know, the idea is like, this is going to be great, this is going to be fun, but by the end of the day, you're like, that was hell. <laughs> so you get them all prepared, and, and they're all, okay, and now you kind of, you know, you're coaxing them onto the, the, the mountain, and they got all the, all the, the boots, the pants, the, the, the thermals, the, the gloves, the goggles. The, they're girls. They had everything. Pink. And so now you, you've got them, and now we're, you know, we're, we're taking them down the runs, and they're, they're you know, I'm, I'm just holding them. And they're like, I'm skiing, I'm skiing, or whatever, I'm snowboarding, but I'm holding them. And we did this a few times. It was a lot of work, a lot of training, a lot of psyche. You can do it. You will do it. Get on that chair. <laughs> and there came a time. I'll never forget the day where, like, we, we pulled up to wherever it was, Snow Summit or something, and they were like, ah, and they just they had their little boots on, and they're just bolting. They knew just where to go. They knew how to put on their own boots. They knew how to buckle them. They had all their gear in line. They're like skis on the shoulder. Dad comes over with the tickets that were way too much, puts them on the kid. And they start heading over to the chair by themselves. Mom and Dad, we were really excited. Really, really excited. You know, there's a lot of Christians in the body of Christ today who've been taught very well. They, they know. They know exactly what to do. They, they, there's no more, no more instructions needed, really. They've been saved. They understand the purpose of their father. There's a calling on their life. For me, there just became a day that if I didn't show up in my surf shop prepared with a Bible study, I was it just was wrong. I had to do it. I was equipped. I was trained. I was, I was starting to, to read my Bible. I was taking notes on my shaping stop, stall wall was all these notes of Bible verses. I was starting to understand. I had cassettes back in the day. If you don't know what those are, talk to someone that's older. But Bible studies just all day long. If you came to order a board for me, you heard it. It was just nonstop, just equipping and training. And, and, and if there was an invitation like we had here this morning, announcement, hey, there's an opportunity to learn about the vision of the church, get involved, there's pizza and all that. I would have went just for the pizza back then. But I went. I couldn't get enough. I heard there was training at a church. I was there. My heart was stirred. I just, you couldn't. As busy as I was with shaping surfboards and having a retail store and a clothesline and a fiberglass factory, all of that stuff just, it began to fade in significance. There's this greater calling upon my heart and upon my life. And there just came a time when God was like, go for it. Go for it. 
And I think it would just been bizarre to my Heavenly Father for me to sit back and fear. Were there things to fear? Yeah. It was a pretty rough crowd in those early days. Not so sure it's getting any better. <laughs> but it, it's a, it was a challenge. But it was right. It was right. And then, what did they do? It's, it's very simple. Uh, I don't want to put down any of all of the training and education and all that through seminary and Bible schools. All that has its place. <laughs> they just went and they gave what they had. It would be just like you, you know, going home today saying, Lord, whoever you put in front of me tomorrow, I'm going to share what I learned today. I'm going to share you. And they went to that very pagan place and they did that. Time doesn't permit us to really get into like what preaching the word is all about, but over 40 times in the book of Acts, the early church is like, ah, look at, they're doing that again. Again, we're, we're, we're the church is likened to many different things. An army, we're likened to the bride of Christ, and we're likened to sheep. I'm not going to ask you to do the thing, but we're likened to sheep for a reason. Sheep need a shepherd. They need to be fed. They won't feed themselves. Interesting animals. They need someone to come and pick the bugs off of them. Put eyesolve on them. Work out their differences for them. Hmm. Jesus is our supreme shepherd. And in John 21, when Jesus was talking to Peter about being a shepherd one day himself, a spiritual shepherd, he's like, feed my sheep and tend my sheep. We need the nutrition of God's word. And somewhere along the way, about three or four decades ago, the church in America lost its way and stopped doing this. Just so you know. They've gotten away from teaching, feeding sheep what God called shepherds, as myself, to do. And what's fascinating, we'll finish this next week if we're, I was here, there, in the air, but what's fascinating is, as I was Let's all stand. Let's stand. Then I, I will finish if you're standing. I was reading recently through 2 Timothy 3, familiar maybe to some here. But, but Paul's talking about, he's talking about the last days. So just whether you think we're there or not, I believe we are. I believe. I don't think there's any other Bible prophecy that needs to be fulfilled in order for the groom to come back for his bride. Amen. Okay? I think we're there. I'll stop with that thought. Otherwise, I'll be here for it. But in the last days, he's like, know that perilous times will come. Verse 1. Just know it. Spot on? Does that fit our day? Perilous times will come. Oh, okay. Um, men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. This isn't us. This is everybody outside of this room, I know. <laughs> Boasters, proud, hmm. blasphemers, disobedient 
to parents. It's going to be a world where we got some authority issues. Huh. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. Slanders. Without self-control. Brutal. Despisers of what is good. Traitors. Headstrong. Haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay. Having a form of godliness, but denying his power. How powerful is the church? How powerful is your God to you and through you? Then he talks, gives some examples, but this is the important part. After saying the end times are really, really, surf term, gnarly. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, Timothy. Hmm. The word. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love. You, you, you see how the words worked out in me, and you've watched that. You've watched me press through with perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me. And he's going to talk about some of these very cities he's just going to. You've watched me navigate through. What was it? It was the word of God. Understand, though, that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you've got to continue in the things that you've learned. You've been assured of these things, that even from childhood, you've known the holy scriptures, the ones that even make you wise for salvation. Oh, you do know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know that. Yeah, yeah. In the end times, in perilous times, you better know that. Because it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. That's what's right. For reproof. That's what's wrong. For correction. That's how to get right. For instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. That you, Lance, put your name there. You just be thoroughly equipped in perilous times for every good why do you think, 34 years later, a man like that would say it's all about the word of God? Because for the last 34 years since he left Antioch, he would teach the word of God. He would watch areas completely be converted. Watch lives transform. And he would know that's what it is all about. We, as the church today, we could line up personally with this and experience this. Or we could go to a church where others line up with this and cheer them on. We don't have pom-poms to hand out, by the way. But there's a lot of Christians sitting on the bench. In 2020, the Lord gave us vision. 
Lead. Lead the body of Christ week after week, day after day, online teaching, in-person teaching. The Word of God led us through a pandemic. Amen. And it's the Word of God that's going to lead us out. Amen. Okay? But it's, it, it, it is not just teaching. It's us receiving and applying the Word of God. He is going to direct you out. He's going to direct me out. And then we are going to be out. There, there is a real threat out there. I'm not going to minimize that. We've buried some of our own. Breaks my heart. But there's the fear that comes from respecting something, which we should. And then there's just the, the enemy using that same thing to hold you back from being who Jesus saved you to be and me to be. He has a vision for us. He has a plan for us. And may we pray more. May we fast more. May we minister more to the Lord. And I can't think of everything else we taught. But everything we taught today, may we do that. where we become more like that church in Antioch. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.